Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 48 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where women get their careers ruined and men don't suffer consequences. Except for here. Here, if you're garbage, we will talk about it. Uh, And we will. I am Karen Peterson and with me as always is Kristen Lopez. Hopefully my neighbor is not drilling into my wall this episode. I apologize in (laughs) advance. As long as he's not drilling into other things. Uh, Lauren, <laughs> Lauren Humphreys Brooks. I've had like three Southern Comforts, so I'm feeling yes. really good right now. Okay, so. are we gonna get Excellent. the Lauren Humphreys Brooks Southern accent though? Is the question. Ooh. Uh, probably not because I I don't have the mental capacity to actually attempt to do that again. But <laughs> maybe it'll just happen. Yeah, it'll just randomly okay happen because I've had enough mm-hmm. Southern Comfort now. During the Louis C.K. discussion, tipsy Lauren. No, exactly. <laughs> And she's back, ladies and gentlemen, from abroad, Kimberly Pierce. Now, Kimberly, we have a very important question for you because you've been gone the last couple of weeks. Okay. Did you find Henry Golding? I have been looking at a lot of pictures and I am, I, (laughs) I was sad to miss last week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be talking about him some more in a couple of weeks, I think, so. Uh, anyway, all right, so we're back at it, and let's just jump right in to the garbage heap. Um, hey, so sad news for some dude bros. Woody Allen is taking his first break in 45 years, you guys. Aww. No. Aww. No, stop, <laughs> don't, come back. <laughs> Whatever yeah. will we do without another story about how an older man needs to fuck a 13-year-old girl and how that will help him reclaim his lost youth? I don't know. You have, like, what, 20-some-odd movies that you can work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, exactly. I was trying to think of the last good, like, really good, like, critically acclaimed good film that Woody Allen has done. and the Midnight in Paris. Midnight in Paris. Was, is Blue Jasmine a little bit later? Oh, I think that was before. Oh was wait, maybe I have no, that was after. Yeah, you're, yeah. Oh, you're right. You're okay, right. so yeah, Blue Jasmine. I had the order mixed up. You're right. Okay, so Blue Blue Jasmine. So that's not. I mean, that's not great. What What year is Blue Jasmine? Thirteen, I think. Thirteen or fourteen? I'm looking it up right now. Okay, so it's been it's been about four or five years since he's made a really decent film, and this is coming from a man who who makes films every year. So. I mean, just at, just at the artistic level, like, who cares? <laughs> Not a good yeah. stretch. Blue Jasmine was 2013, Midnight in Paris was 2011. Okay, so, so yeah, so it's been a, at least five years since he's made a good film. And, and even then, I mean, you know how many male critics I've talked to that said, even up to this, Woody Allen gets one bad movie, one good movie, one bad, it, like, it vacillates, you know, everybody knows that there's usually one good movie and then what immediately follows is a bad one. And then there's a, another one that's good. So, I mean, it's not like he's consistent. The consistency no. oh, yeah. is the inconsistency. Well, and I mean, to give to give the guy credit, I don't think there's another 
filmmaker who produces a film a year. That's pretty spectacular in terms of artistic output. So of course some of them at are least not be every good. year, yeah, yeah, and some of them are going to be bad, you know. But at the same time, given given everything that Hollywood has gone through in the past year and given his most recent output, I'm like, I don't, I mean, I don't feel like this is a huge loss. If we never have another Woody Allen film, I think that we're good. I think we will never have another Woody Allen film. And by the way, I don't know if you guys heard the news, but uh, New York has been shelved indefinitely. Like I said, it would be. Um, I mean, the only thing I would be sad is that's the one with my sweet baby biscuit correct? but you should be yes it is but you should be glad that now he will not have to be linked That's to Woody true. Allen he will screen. not he, can he will not be in the way. sub column he will uh, not be in the sub column of Kristen's boys who have worked with an asshole um, I mean I mean everyone was still in that column but it's yeah, yeah. but yeah, now we don't ev- have to ev- see it. everybody's worked with Woody Allen anyway so had what a 45 so, you know. year career it's yeah mm-hmm. It's either Alan or Polanski. They all work. With, they pick one and they do it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna say in terms of artistic ability, I think the Polanski is the better filmmaker. So take mm-hmm. take as you take that as you will. You know. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Bye, Woody. Don't come back. I, I think the only the only thing that really irks me, and we're we're gonna talk about media narratives in a second with something else, but. I just love the articles that are coming out about how Woody Allen might not is taking a break. Like, no, really, own up to it. Nobody wants to fucking see his movies right now. Well, and right. he wants to appear in them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. I think that, I mean, given given the number of both actors and and particularly actresses who have just been asked questions about appearing in Woody Allen films and have had to defend their decision making. Uh, along those lines like who really wants to take that on at this juncture again in Hollywood history exactly I bet there's a lot of performers who would not touch that with a 10-foot pole right now yeah well and I think that that may be why like he's at this point now Amazon had previously had that deal with him and now they're not putting his movie out and he's probably having a hard time casting this next one that's still untitled so yeah he's probably like oh I guess I should step back and Either he's gonna just fade away and just retire, essentially, or he's hoping for a comeback, which those happen. Which oh, we all know, yeah. I could see him it was so easy for a bit, and then yeah, miraculous return to the screen. Yeah, and hopefully, and based you know, on what we've seen, we'll welcome him with open arms. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And speaking of people being welcomed back with open Who arms, with after Woody Allen. go, yeah, that's true. <laughs> after going and and finding himself and learning so much in the past, how long? How long? Nine five months. Minutes? Oh, nine months. Okay, about as much time as it takes to make a child. Yeah. Well, you can learn a <laughs> lot during human gestation, apparently. So the idea he birthed was the idea that he should have his career back. Right, yeah. So let's talk about Louis C.K. And the fact that he is back and a lot of people rejoiced and a lot of other people gagged. Well, let's let's provide some context. So he performed uh, at a place called the Comedy Cellar, which the rumor that I heard... Which, honestly, the name of that place is pretty appropriate but right. for what happened. But, uh... the, the rumor that I heard, this is unconfirmed, I read the blind items, this was this was about as 
uh, uh, pretty much obvious as you could get and still call it blind, was that a significant amount of money was exchanged to get him the gig. Uh, and he performed a set that and included... And I'm guessing, sorry, I'm guessing that he wasn't on the receiving end of that significant no, amount of money. No, <laughs> no. It rhymes with comedy seller was at the end of that. Um, <laughs> um, but but that's the rumor. Okay, so that's just, just saying. Um, but th- supposedly there were jokes that were inappropriate, especially within the context. Um, Something about a rape so, whistle joke? There was a, there yeah, was a rape whistle joke. And based on people who were present, um, the men th- thought it was hilarious. And I think the quote I found on Twitter was that women felt so uncomfortable because they weren't sure if the audience was going to attack them or he was. But either way, it led to a very disturbing atmosphere. That's that's that goes along with the rumor I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and that's we we talked I talked about this on the last episode about being cynical uh, because of of how we embrace these these guys once we feel they go away. And when this came out, Lauren and I all of us saw it was well, you know, how, what, what do you want him to do to pay his dues? You know, yeah. can rehabilitation happen? Shouldn't we give these guys a second chance? Second chances can, can happen. We're not saying that you should not seek rehabilitation and be forgiven for your, your flaws. But you don't learn fucking anything in nine months, okay? Especially when you're a multimillionaire, okay? And nobody, as, as Lauren will say, nobody owes you a career. You don't have to go back to the same job you were once a part of. Well, that's, You know, I, I, yeah. I forget who it was who put out the tweet. It might have been Donna Dickens or, or somebody that I know from my, my women writers group. Um, that, you know, Winona Ryder shoplifted mm-hmm. and she was persecuted mm-hmm. and denied a career for years but we expect we're we're told that we need to forgive him and let him have a career in comedy after nine months. How many women have lost careers for just being like right. you wrote about for yeah. being quote unquote difficult? The mm-hmm. the women who came out against Louis C.K. still aren't working. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, so much of this is not just about what he did to them, but about the aftermath of it. The the threats. The basically de- derailing their careers in either actively or or in the sense that he made them so uncomfortable and so unhappy being in comedy that they decided to leave. Like, you know, we we have all of these sad, you know, sort of oh, he was such a great comedian, and we're so sad to lose him. And it's just like think about the women who never even got a chance. Mm-hmm. Never even got the opportunity mm-hmm. to be, you know, and who knows what they could, they could have been the next fucking Gilda Radner. Mm-hmm. But we we never get to see that because he made them so uncomfortable and he uh, destroyed so many of their chances that they just don't have careers as a result of it. And that to me is way more tragic than Louis C.K. doing something that he chose to do. He never had to do this, right? He chose to masturbate in front of these women and and he and you know I'm like all right fine if he could, if he loses his career as a result of that that is fine by me I don't see that he has contributed so much that he is just irreplaceable. The the problem that I have is is people brought up and, and I brought it up as well because I think it's a valid point. If this were any other profession, and this same exact thing happened, this person would be fired. They would they would not have a job. They would be fired from their job, and that would follow them. And they would need to do some serious, you know, reper- there would be serious consequences for that. 
And if they did try to get into, you know, another job, whatever that industry is, they would have to prove that there is not a problem, that they are not a threat to other people. You know, why can't we ask that of, of men in the entertainment industry? Great example, and I say this, we say this all the time, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson has a career to this day. Be and, and there's video evidence, audio evidence of him being anti-Semitic and a total misogynist and threatening a woman. But we need to ignore that because he made Passion of the Christ and that movie is, is fantastic. Presumably, I've never seen it. Um, and, and that's my thing, is that any other career, there would need to be penance made. There would need to be something done. There is a code of conduct. And honestly, I don't know what what rehabilitation in this industry looks like because I've never seen it. I've never seen a guy actually rehabilitate himself and, and own up to his mistakes. So I can't tell you what the solution is because there's never been a solution done. The, the only one that I can think of to a to degree, and this is not a result of, like it's not really a result of something that he did to another person, is Robert Downey Jr. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but at the but like I say, it's not the result of he was not accused of sexual assault. He was not accused of harassment or violence or anything else. But that this is someone who went through a really dark and terrible period of his life, where he was a drug addict. He went to prison for a while, all of that shit, and he has managed to get his career back on track. And and most importantly to admit to the fact that he had all of these problems and to own up to those problems. But again, these are all things that he did to himself, not that he did to others. Right, and I think the fact that he had to go on this public apology tour for having an addiction just, just fuels the double standard that we see here. You know, th that he had to go on this public apology tour. But we're not asking people that actually committed sexual harassment and hurt others to even admit they're sorry. Yeah. Yeah. What I what I kept thinking about after this news about Louis C.K. specifically broke, um, and people started talking about it. Um, I mean, to me, definitely nobody is owed a career, especially in show business. Like, I mean, it's just it's gonna happen for you or it isn't, and um, there are a lot of things that can cause someone to be successful or not. Um, but I think about, like, in this instance specifically, I was thinking, I mean, to me, no, he shouldn't already be back up on stage and somebody shouldn't be, like, giving him a platform. But at the same time, it's like, well, I think in some instances, these things kind of have to weed themselves out. And, and really, the course of action for him should be... Okay, so he goes on stage, he bombs, nobody wants to see him, and then he goes away forever. Unfortunately, that's not the way it necessarily works. But then I was thinking about a case like Michael Richards, which was not about sexual harassment, it was about racism. And he went on this weird racist rant, I think it was in like 2006. I remember that, it was, yeah. It was more than 10 years ago. And he went on this weird racist rant on stage during a set. And then he had this, like, weird apology, and everyone was just like, yeah, we are not buying that. And then he had another weird apology, and then he just, like, disappeared. And he's tried a couple of times to make a comeback, but it's never worked out. And people are like, we're done with you, go away. And it's like, to me, that's kind of really what needs to happen with someone like Louis C.K. And, um, like, 
if he wants to come back on stage, fine, let him. I mean, in my opinion, those of us who are, like, totally done with him now, like, we're not... He. This is the thing that I think is hilarious. Some of the arguments that people have made. Oh, we'll let him back. Okay, well, just because he wants to come back doesn't mean that we have to watch him. Doesn't mean that he is owed an audience. He's not owed a career and he's not owed an audience. Like, if, if people come back to him, that's on them, you know? And so my thing kind of is, this is another way to weed out irritating people that I can't stand is, like, based on their response to him coming back. Like, if people are all on board and they're ready to embrace him, then that tells me that they are also people I should be avoiding. So, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah like, uh, he's back to drilling, so oh. apologies in advance. <laughs> <laughs> he, he must be a Louis C.K. Louis, Louis C.K. or your neighbor. <laughs> Both. Both. Gross. Sorry, now I'm thinking uh, well, thoughts. Well, and one of the gross things I think about all of this is that, as you're saying, Karen, you know, if he, come, if he quote, comes back, like, it's kind of like Devin Farachi. You know, we... Uh, don't give him a platform, but if he wants to make his own blog or something like that, you can't really stop him from doing that. What you can do is to say, I'm not going to support him. One of the gross things about what Louis C.K. has done has been, like, this this was basically, this was a surprise stand-up, right? So this was sort of, this was forced on the audience without their consent. Um, Right, yeah, which makes it To, like, actually watch him. And so, you know, and, and... the, I think it was a couple of women who, who talked. I'm not, I don't remember whether they talked anonymously or not. But they talked about being in the audience and being very uncomfortable being in the audience and the different reaction between being female and, and the, and the uh, men in the audience and how they reacted to his set. But regardless, this wasn't something that they bought tickets to go see Louis C.K. Right? right. This was like, oh, Louis C.K. showed up. And, and was doing kind of a litmus test to find out whether or not he would be welcomed back. And that kind of thing is, is even more gross because it's not like those, those women then or, any, or anyone sitting in that room had a choice. You're just like, okay, I've come in here to watch comedy and I'm being subjected to this. I, the choice that I have is to stay, which I've paid for, or to get up and walk out. And that's, that's putting all of the honest on on the audience, on the victims of, of what's happening. It's just like, I can either stay or I can walk out. It's a weirdly meta commentary upon what Louis C.K. has done. Being, having um, him forced on you to uh, hear, you know, to hear him tell rape whistle jokes. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, if you didn't like it, why didn't you leave? Uh, and, and that's, that's what's really horrifying about this is that it is like, it, it, it isn't, it isn't even honest. It isn't right. even like, you know, I'm going to try to do a special and people come or they don't come. Um, these people didn't really have a choice initially. Like, he began his set and he was there. And and then they had to make a decision off of that. And that's hard to do, to stand up and walk out of a crowded room. Um, Especially in a comedy club. Somebody will call your ass yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I would have loved to, and I guess that the comedy seller did not allow any, like, they they confiscated phones, so they didn't allow any recording of what was happening, so there couldn't even be this, like, you know, someone couldn't even record what was going on and post it on the internet and post it on Twitter, and then we could actually have a conversation about it. It all has to be by hearsay. Right. Which, gee, that doesn't seem fishy at all. Like, when it does what our society continues to do and like well, like you said Lauren putting onus on the victims yeah mm-hmm. you know it's that's it's all on the people in the audience not nothing so much on him 
But yeah. I, I really do think that at the level of, you know, when are the, when, when is redemption? When do they actually get to come back? You know what? He doesn't get to. Like, I, I think that someone on, on Twitter said that's just like, okay, you want us to make a decision? I've made the decision. He does not get to come back. That is the decision that we have made and we all now have to abide by it. And, and that's true. I'm just like, what exactly is he offering that another hundred comedians who haven't committed sexual assault can offer us? When all the women who lost careers, you know, the ones yeah. who left because of him, the women who Harvey Weinstein blacklisted, they're, these women lost their careers. If we have one fewer asshole stand-up comedian or producer in there, I, I'm fucking happy about it. Yeah. Um, the problem is, of course, that we don't get to just make these decisions. They're always made for us and by people who don't have our best interests at heart. So, any other thoughts on Louis C.K. or the weird concept of redemption? Like, that's the other thing. Like, it's not necessarily about redemption. It's just, like, uh, I don't know. Well, the words that keep on being thrown around are things like, you know, oh, he served his time. You know, Michael (laughs) Ian Black made that comment. Yeah, did he? Because I don't remember hearing about that. See, that surprised me because isn't Michael Ian Black usually pretty pro? I mean, unless it's a yeah, he's usually usually pretty pro me too. But I guess it's probably he's he's been arguing with again Donna Dickens and a bunch of other um, female writers who have kind of taken him to task for. For his comments um and and the response that we had was what we have about a lot of guys is you know who did you hurt <laughs> yeah well and someone had a really good twitter thread i can't think of who it was or even how it started but that was one of the things that they were pointing out is that for a lot of these people they're looking at louis ck and they want him to be welcomed back because they all are guilty of things and this tells them that they'll be forgiven for it too and that's so gross and yeah yeah and and one of the things that michael ian black was talking about was like okay well you know men being and the phrase that he used i believe was caught up in the Mm -hmm. me too movement and that's a very indicative phrase of saying like okay so this is something this is something that a man gets caught in you can't get you know this is something that men did don't be an asshole. When, Maybe you won't get caught up in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Louis C.K. made a decision at some point to to masturbate in front of women. Like, that wasn't something that he got caught up in. That was something that he chose to do. And to, to kind of put this, to kind of put it in this phrasing that turns it into something like that, that is almost unavoidable. It was like, there was no way that this would not have happened. And so he got caught up in the Me Too movement as a result of it. So, any other thoughts on Louis C.K.? Do we really want to keep talking about him? I forgot I'm what my brilliant line was, so I guess Aww. I'm good. Well, if you think of it again, Kim, like just we'll come randomly back to it. shout it out yes. at any point. Yeah, I, I most yeah. definitely will. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's move on to other things that are good to moderate to whatever. Um, <laughs> so, festivals are happening. Lots and lots of festivals. This is. The week where Telluride, TIFF, and Venice Film Festival all kick off. And so we've started to hear some reactions to some of the big stuff. The big one that people are talking about is Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, which is 
apparently supposed to be just spectacular. It's currently at, I think it's still at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes as of time of recording. Um, and it just, it looks beautiful. The trailer didn't give me enough to really decide if I think it's going to be good, but I think it looked very pretty. So I don't know. Um, what do you guys think about the reactions to Roma? I know that a lot of the, the Latinx critics that I've talked to have said that white people like it, but they have no idea about Mexican cinema and what he's really getting at. Was mm -hmm. I, I hate to be the jerk to ask this question. Was Roma the the piece of shit trailer with the water? Yeah. I, well, that I'm was the that was the first that was the teaser trailer. Okay, there was so a full have, trailer released recently. I have not so. seen the next one then, but that teaser oh, okay. trailer was a fucking joke. <laughs> oh yeah, but there is an actual trailer that gives you a little bit more so insight. So, um, uh, to Kristen's point, yeah, it does seem like there haven't really been any um, Latinx critics that have even seen it. There really aren't too many at Venice, I think. And so far, I think Venice is the only one that has screened it. I don't think it's played at Telluride yet. It will. And I don't think it has played at TIFF yet. I think those are both sometime this weekend. Um, but it, it is making the festival rounds. It's getting a lot of buzz. So we'll see what happens as, as more people. Venice is kind of a weird festival because it seems like they love everything especially stuff that doesn't end up being popular over here like last year i remember them being like super super psyched for downsizing <laughs> and so we all know yeah. how that turned yeah. out and so... yeah venice, venice <laughs> seems to really get excited over things that are not that are that are like superficially interesting but not actually that great yeah so i mean i'm like kind of excited about Roma, especially because of things that I've heard um, from people that have seen it that are not at Venice. So, but at the same time, like, I don't know. I'm I'm reserving judgment on anything that people are super pumped about there because, yeah. We have, we have to temper our expectations out of Italy. <laughs> so, they're very excited about everything. I think it's all the wine. Yeah, based on based on uh, Variety's article about that other movie. Yeah, that sounds like they love everything. Yeah, well, we'll get to that one in a minute. Um, next up was The Front Runner, which uh, apparently is another one that is supposed to be really great. That is the one that has Hugh Jackman, and it's directed by Jason Reitman, and it is about Gary Hart, who... Uh, had a very interesting <laughs> campaign for president back in 1988. Kids, ask your parents. 84. 88, 84. Shoot, now so I can't remember. Okay, yeah, it was, he was, yeah, it was Bush. Yeah. yeah. Where, Which, oddly enough, the reactions for it come out right as a trailer drops for a November release. Yeah. So oddly, that that led me to believe that they were hoping that the good press would help mitigate a very mediocre trailer, which we'll talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, but reactions are, are coming out positive, especially for Hugh Jackman. So we'll uh, we'll see on that. Um, any thoughts on, well, like we can talk more about our thoughts on the, the movie itself and the trailer uh, soon, but any any reactions that particularly struck anyone? The trailer is very mediocre. Yeah. Um, it's very mediocre. It hits all the, the notes of 
serious political trailer. Um, and I, I, I'm one of those, you know, I finally saw Black Klansman the other day, and I understood exactly what everybody was saying about its very pointed critiques about Trump that it didn't necessarily need. And this, I feel, is going to be another one of those movies that's going to be very pointed towards what we have right now, which it doesn't need to directly call on that. Uh, I was I was um, not around for the Gary Hart stuff. Um, I heard about it from, um, like, 80s, 80s-themed, like, nostalgia shows. Like, I Love the 80s, I think, is when I actually found out what it was. And it was always fascinating to me because I was like, a picture destroyed this guy's bid for presidency. And then I actually read the book yeah, earlier that's this not year. Exactly. Yeah, it was a little more than that. It was a little more, yeah, it was a little more than that. Uh, I Love the 80s situated the photo. Um, but I actually read um, Matt Bai's book that the movie is based on this year. And even then, even then, um, you know, when you realize how close Gary Hart came to being the Democratic nominee and what went in and the whole tabloidization of politics that had not happened previously to, I mean, you don't need to make pointed critiques about Trump. Everything in the movie could be about, you know, just the, the slow change of politics and how it's become, you know, uh, scandalized. Um, I just, the trailer was, was very basic. Yeah. Well, the thing, yeah, all I'm going to say about the frontrunner so far, or Gary Hart, is um, if you're doing stupid shit, uh, don't dare people to prove it. <laughs> because they will. <laughs> Well, well technically, I I, I, I I will throw out, based on what I've read in the book, they didn't really prove anything. <laughs> they just had a lot of damning circumstantial evidence that might have implied something, but there was never anything that was ever proven. It was just, he might have, he might have been seeing a woman, but there was really no evidence. There was never any proof that they were even actually in the same house. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, I don't know. From my memory, which maybe it's the Mandela effect, but from my memory, there was a little bit more than that. But well, okay. the, the, the book, the book <laughs> does a really great job of talking about the Mandela effect, actually, because they're all, they're all, most people assume the photo is what damned him. They're like, no, actually, the photo came out at the tail end of everything. Yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway. It's a really good book. You should read it. Uh, I do. The movie wonder, sucks. Read the book. Are we talking the trailer? Or are we saving, are we doing that later? We're kind of talking the trailer. We're talking, We're talking about it all right now. Okay. I mean, I'll jump in with some superficial analysis, at least, on the trailer. I mean, it didn't absolutely wow me, but I am a, I think I, I've said I'm a longtime Hugh Jackman fangirl, and I've been, I, he looked, it looked, it looks like a damn good role for him. I'm excited it it looked i thought they made a good use of him in the trailer so i hope he gets some of the critical love he deserves yeah lauren you were trying to say something oh i, I was just gonna say i do kind of wonder how these films are going to play because you know so you were saying Kristen, that there's almost this pointed reference to trump in the trailer and and i kind of see that at the same time i'm like this these things are almost beginning to look quaint you know, like, I th someone mentioned on Twitter today, uh, Dan Quayle being brought down because he couldn't pronounce potato correctly. He couldn't spell, spell potato couldn't correctly, spell and I still say it was the damn teacher who wrote it on the card who's to blame for that. Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> um, but see, so that kind of thing as being, like, something that can actually 
can actually destroy a presidential campaign and things like that. And then we look at the current situation that this country is in with Trump as president, with everything that went on uh, during his campaign. And there, there is a sense of quaintness of like all of these things that we're used to seeing in political thrillers, even not even talking about um, the reality of politics, but just regular political thrillers where the president is brought down by having an affair or doing this or doing that are, are almost being thrown into relief because of that. And that was the way that I was looking at the front runner trailer. I was like, oh man, that was back in the day when this sort of thing could actually harm someone, you know? I actually tweeted, I was, I was uh, tweeting and, and making the, the song from the themes, uh, the theme song of um, All in the Family. Those were the days. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were, you know, I mean, my, one of the major formative political moments of my life was the Monica Lewinsky scandal uh, back in Same. whenever that was. Yeah, yeah, 90, like I was in- 98? Right? Yeah, it was 98. Yeah, 98. I was like was in middle year. school, high school when all of that was going on. Um, and looking at it now, it's just like, oh, that was so sweet. You know? So charming. So cute. <laughs> oh, that was adorable. To like, think about what we used to get outraged over. You know, the the outrage yeah. of the fact, you know, the thought that the president might have gotten a blowjob in the Oval Office while now he's paying off porn stars and, you know, <laughs> but we're all good. No, no, exactly, and and the same thing goes through to like to political to more political films, right? When you see all of the different scandals that presidents get wrapped up in, just like this could bring down his administration, and all the rest were going, no, no, it couldn't, not really. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's the front runner. That'll be out like in November. I think it's November twenty first. That I think sounds is what right. It is. So then there was First Man, which Space Jam, <laughs> which uh, now that reviews are out, I think we can confirm there is jazz in Space Jazz. I I can actually confirm from someone I know who has seen it, who is not at Venice, <laughs> that there is a scene where jazz is played. Now I did not ask for specifics, so I maintain that Ryan Gosling is going to whip out a saxophone and start playing some sweet moon jazz in the third act of this movie. I mean, it makes sense. He should. So, so yeah, the sequel, yeah. The with his Martian Jam, band. Yeah. Which is... Uh... There's gonna be space <laughs> jazz. There will be a sweet sax solo in the Sea of Tranquility. I think, okay? I'm, with, I I think I'm with Lauren here where I would really just rather this be a, a sequel to Space Jam. So Yeah. That's what it is. I decided that this is the sequel to Space Jam. Like, that's how I'm going to look at the film when I see it. And I'm the one yeah. who's looking forward to it. So, there. <laughs> well, and, and the thing that I, I heard from, from, again, somebody who has seen it, was that the biggest issue was that it's a it's a total Gosling um, vanity star project. You know, the, which the is... other cast members don't have anything to do. Which is interesting because I'm hearing so much about Claire Foy's performance and that she outshines him. Yeah, and see, that's the thing, is I was like, okay, but I maintain that really they're, they're all going to be overshadowed because the minute John Bernthal left this project, <laughs> just all, all air was sucked out of it. So it's yeah. just... It's so, always gonna blow. Yeah, well, but, this movie is interesting because it's got an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's um, only got two rotten reviews out of 18 right now. Oh, he's back to drilling, I see. Um, 
people are really commenting on the technical aspects of it. One person, um, who was it? Uh, Stephanie Zacharek from Time said it's a respectful movie, even a genuflecting one. Um, then she's, you know, says there's never a moment when Chazelle fails to let you know he's doing important, valuable work. This is on a rotten review, by the way. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. So it's like, yeah, it's very Damien Chazelle showing off type of thing, which is exactly what I expected. But then someone else, right? But then um, Brian Viner of the UK Daily Mail said it's a captivating and suspenseful thriller, and I was just like, um, you're the only person I have heard use the word thriller about a movie that (laughs) Daily Mail, Daily Mail, who are known for being basically a tabloid. Like, oh yeah, totally. With a grain of salt. (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. I thought it was a hilarious review, actually, because I was just like, I don't think you know what thriller means. (laughs) One one of the things that I keep on seeing about Ryan Gosling is just like, oh, he's really understated. You know, like, there's not a lot of emotion and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I was beginning to think about it. I was like, I I can't remember a time when Ryan Gosling has actually shown emotion in a film. So I think what a lot of what is being said about, you know, he's really understated and everything. It's just like, no, guys, he's just really boring. <laughs> like, I, I hate to tell he's just dull. I mean, like, the, the first man to walk on the moon is like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, see, I don't personally find Ryan Gosling boring, but I do think that we haven't seen a lot of range from him, and I think that generally they have found, like, that he has found parts that that works. Kind of like Kristen Stewart, honestly, where um, you don't really see much, and sometimes she's in roles where that works really well. Other times you get Twilight. I I would love to see him get something where he can show more range but I mean and I I like the guy I legitimately enjoy him I mean he's bland but that works for me we've talked about my taste in men and (laughs) 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 but you know who knows by the way Ryan Gosling is also Canadian so (laughs) and right now Canada and I are this this episode (laughs) needs to be called blame Canada I think (laughs) I'd like to see him get something with more range, but at this point, I don't know if he could do it. But I will still be there to see that movie, because I'll be damned. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. So the, let's see, First Man. Actually, as we record, it is screening in Telluride right now. So uh, we'll get some more reactions from them. It'll be interesting to see if there is a uh, disconnect between the overseas crowd in Venice drinking wine and the Telluride crowd smoking pot. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, uh, and that comes out, uh, October 12th. So there you go. I was about to say, we'll get that real quick. Yeah. And another film that has been the talk of Venice is this little movie called The Star is Born. Um, which is a totally original, brand new movie that no one has ever seen the likes of ever before. Oh, wait. Wah, wait, I got wah, that wrong. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. The third remake, the fourth generation of this movie, um, has gotten some pretty good reviews, mostly for a performance by Bradley Cooper. So wow. Yawn. Yeah. That fine cinematic auteur, <laughs> Mr. Bradley 
whatever his middle name is, Cooper. <laughs> Bradley Bradley Cooper. Bradley will tip in forever, <laughs> Cooper. Now, I do find him to be a good actor. I really liked him in stuff like uh, Silver Linings Playbook. But I am just... None of us are excited for this movie, which, by the way, currently has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know what You know what I like with Bradley Cooper? I like watching him give interviews in French. He's fluent in it, but that's yes, it. Yes, he is. It's been a while <laughs> really? since I've watched one of those. It's delightful <laughs> if you YouTube that. It's, it's quite, for those of us that like accents, it's quite the thrill. I may, he probably learned that when he got that new chin. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Y'all, he got that chin done. Okay, it was not like that on Alias. That is a fake chin. Okay, just saying. It just is not I'm, fake. He paid good money for it. He paid good money for that cleft. I know. See, I know. I'm trying to think back to his Sex in the City part and remember if it was there then. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, so I'm I'm the one who's kind of the rain cloud when it comes to a Star Is Born. Um, I don't think you're the only one. No, I'm yeah. I'm glad I'm glad then because that that heartens me because I feel like I've been alone in the sea reminding other people that yes, old actors made this movie before. Um, and apparently you're not supposed to bring that up. Um, I I think the '54 version with Judy Garland is a masterpiece, and fuck Grace Kelly for winning that Academy Award. Um, it should have been Judy. Um, but also, apparently, the Canadian behind me really liked Grace Kelly. Um, I don't know. Um, I think the '76 version with Barbara is trash, and I have not seen the original. Um, so you, I'm sure there are people already turning me off right now. Um, so when I saw the trailer for this, which I've seen this trailer, I'm not kidding, every movie I've seen in the theater has this trailer. As if to say, Kristen, if you watch it for the 80th time, you'll finally love it. Um, no, no, I haven't. Um, but I think Rebecca Keegan wrote an article for Vanity Fair, uh, that I really enjoyed looking at how A Star is Born is essentially the Hollywood industry film that Hollywood thinks exemplifies them. Um, and so, so I'm like, oh, I get it now. I mean, I always got it. The whole concept that, like, a female success totally means you can't have a relationship without driving your man to drink and kill himself. Spoiler alert, there's three other versions of this. They all end, I think, the same, the same way. Um, how dare so yeah, you spoil I, I've a been, movie that's been made, remade three times. I know, <laughs> I know. It's a shame. Um, but... But I've been the one who's, I've been one of many, I guess, who does not feel that this movie is going to be any good. Um, no matter what you say, from a film by Bradley Cooper is never going to mean shit to me. Um, I, and I think the marketing for this has been bad. But, yeah, I mean, nobody would love to be more wrong about this and life itself more than me, okay? But I don't think I'm going to be about either movie. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, for Word Circuit, we have a Slack channel, too. And so people were talking about, you know, how excited they were for it. And, and um, because, you know, all the dudes are super excited. And so one of the guys asked, like, you know, why do people keep saying that a remake is cliche or something like that? Anyway, he asked me what my opinion was and I, or why I'm not excited for this movie. And I said, <laughs> here's the quote of what I said back. Because they've already made this movie three times before, and also I'm bored of washed up white guys that are all sad about their successful lives and feeling bored because everything is so great that they had to turn to alcohol to cope with their success. Yawn. <laughs> and he was just what like, I... that's the best previewing assessment ever. 
Well, I think, too, that the problem with A Star is Born, especially the the two versions the, that have been so iconic, you know, the 76 one with Barbara Streisand and the 54 version with Judy Garland, is that they're both vanity projects for their female actors. You know, the, they're, they're vanity projects for the two women in charge. The, this is a vanity project for its dude. Um, and I, I'm just not, as Karen already laid out, I'm not here for a basic white dude story about how this woman is so much better than I am. That makes me feel emasculated. I need to go drink and kill myself because I'm going to lose it to a woman. Um, which, I'm just saying, it's, it's there in the 54 version. Uh. It's there, okay? It's there in the 76 version. The whole concept of woman is better than me at something. Therefore, I am less of a man. I mean, it's basically how Hollywood's reacting to me, too, so, you know. Right, right, and well, that's yeah. that's what this this movie's trying to sell itself as. The star is born for the Me Too generation. I'm not having it. Yeah, then if that were the case, it would be directed by a woman. Exactly. This could have been, well, I think, let's, let's remember what this movie could have been. This started out as a Clint Eastwood film mm-hmm. with, with fiance. With fiance. Hmm. I mean, that would, a lot of, all of that sounds interesting. Not I'm the not Clint Eastwood part, any interest man. here. <laughs> I, I'm I'm so over Beyonce. I, like <laughs> I, you are not one with the you are not down with the Bayhive. Okay, I'm not associated with her. If anybody comes knocking on the door, I don't know I, her. <laughs> this this movie needs to get its marketing fucking straightened out because and I'm sure people will remind me, this was on my most anticipated list towards the beginning of the year. I was this movie intrigued the hell out of me. I will admit that. Mainly because Lady Gaga, but this yeah. this marketing has been an absolute joke. I thought that trailer was horrendously done. And if I have to see another goddamn article about Bradley Cooper being some kind of auteur, I'm going to lose it. I, it's He's a first-time debut director. He's not... He's not Hitchcock. He's not Spielberg. Some They need to get over themselves about that. Let's see the movie do well first. Mm-hmm. So Lady Gaga actually wrote pretty much all the music. Some of the songs she wrote with other people, like Bradley Cooper has a writing credit on one of the songs. And another one she co-wrote. Yeah. And another one she co-wrote with Diane Warren. And if you'll recall, the two of them combined together were nominated for an Oscar a couple years ago and lost to Sam Smith, who did that James Bond song and was never heard from again. Um, But yeah, so it's possible that they could you know get another oscar nomination for this so yesterday i said on twitter if there's goodness in the world a star is born will win exactly one oscar and it will be best original song and diane warren will finally be academy award winner diane warren that's the only 20 20 bucks the only song nominated is the bradley cooper written one i wouldn't be surprised (laughs) but you know i'm gonna hope until i have reason not and and let's specify just before we close this out the story about Bradley Cooper wiping off Lady Gaga's makeup because he's a real serious auteur who totes knows films. Um, yeah, they did it in 54. They did it in Inside Daisy Clover. It's not special. Stop it. No, and it was gross. And I'm still really offended by the fact that she and Oscar, well, an Oscar-nominated performer, a Grammy-winning performer, Golden Globe-winning actress had to audition for this movie. 
That's bullshit. Of course. I'm, of course. I'm, I'm, I was pissed about I'd that. say that's probably movie snobbery there. Somebody went, well, she was on TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, he's so a was singer. he. <laughs> as, yeah, as we'll guys, tip in forever, goddammit. Yeah, exactly. As you guys have been pointing out, though, this this is a movie about a woman ultimately overshadowing a man to the degree that he is so emasculated that he kills himself. So, so you know, the the fact that we're we're all basically going like Lady Gaga is the legend and Bradley Cooper is the mediocre white dude He's that is supporting the legend from The Hangover. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think that, that so many, like, mediocre white men being excited over this film is exactly that. It's just like, guys, guys, you are the secondary players in the story of the great women. I hate to tell you. Mm -hmm. It's true. So, all right, that comes out October 5th. And there will be more reactions throughout the week as it plays. I was totally waiting for you to say there will be blood. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, there will probably be that too. Um, anyway, so there will be more reactions throughout the week. So check Twitter for lots of people to get mad at you if you don't like it because you're a terrible person, apparently. That's already started. So that's fun. All right. Uh question was this you Kristen that had this question no nope. this is me no? oh Lauren all right so Lauren would like to talk about um, let's see does a filmmaker or screenwriter have to love the original in order to work on the remake so you said this is inspired by um, an article about Suspiria why don't you talk to us a little bit about this uh, this was actually inspired by the Suspiria screenwriter who said to the LA Times, um, the, this is the, remake, the Suspiria remake screenwriter, uh, who said to the LA Times, I am not a fan of the original Suspiria, to be honest. I'm a fan of it as an art piece, but as a narrative, it makes almost no sense. Um, it was only when I started to hear the really concerned rumblings of Argento superfans that I thought, uh-oh, I wonder if people will let this be our own thing, uh, or its own thing. And so that kind of, that has actually inspired a lot of people, at least that I know on Twitter, to, to talk about the, uh, the, the, fact, the fact that this guy was hired to work on the screenplay of the remake of Suspiria without actually liking the original film, and whether or not that ultimately, that ultimately makes a difference. I mean, we've talked about people like Peter Jackson, who were major fans of the, the properties that they worked on. You know, Lord of the Rings was a real labor of love for him, and that both came out really well and then when you look at things like the hobbit it didn't come out so well so that was my sort of issue was do you do you feel like you have to have this respect and love for the original film in order to actually produce something that is is a decent remake i'm gonna say no only because there's so many remakes today and i don't think we hear a lot of people comment about source material i mean maybe in passing um i've heard from from some directors and i can't name them off the top of my head right now who have said i chose not to see the original movie i, I know that sofia coppola when she did um beguiled mentioned that she um watched the original movie but didn't watch it at while she was making this movie in any way shape or form because she wanted to make something original that if anything she was going off of the book which she had problems with so i think it, it can work that a, a filmmaker or a screenwriter doesn't necessarily have to like the material that they're adapting i think it just comes from the fact that they're interested enough to adapt the material at all 
Well, I think in the case of the beguiled, though, and similar situations like that, I think that what Sofia Coppola did wasn't really a remake of the Clint Eastwood version. It was just another version of the book. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's different than than what we're talking about with Suspiria, which it this movie that's coming out, the Guadagnino version, is a remake of Argento's version. So um, I don't think you necessarily have to love the original personally, but I do think that you do need to show it respect, and I think you need to have respect for that source material uh, if you're going to remake it. Um, I, there has to be a respect for it. There has to be a knowledge for it. I mean, I'm not saying they have to like it. I mean, I am all for... And, the, and this is probably not a good example, but thinking of something like uh, 310 to Yuma when they remade that. When you're taking something and making maybe a more revisionist take on something, if there's points where you're like, I would like to improve, you know, if, if you're changing a focus, you know, developing on something that was clearly missed. But I'm all for intelligent takes on it. I don't know if you can necessarily remake something if you hate it or if you've never seen it, but I, I, yeah, I don't think they have the filmmakers have to love it. Lauren, do you have any final thoughts on it? Uh, well, I mean, I, to a certain degree, I think that this kind of thing is, is about whether or not the viewer themselves is a fan of the original work. So this gave me pause because, as I have said numerous times before now, um, I love the original Suspiria. And so to hear the screenwriter of the new one that I am actually now getting pretty excited about say oh I don't like the original I think that it's a bad narrative you know that kind of thing and and I, I get that he he qualifies it by saying um, that he, he respects it as an as a piece of art but not as a narrative it's like okay well then you've kind of missed the point of Suspiria in my opinion um, and so I'm approaching it as as a fan who is like okay I really love this movie and you're remaking it and I want to give you a, an opportunity like, I don't want to just dismiss you out of hand being like, you know, you can't re remake this film. But then for you to turn around and say, oh, I don't actually like the thing that I am remaking. I, I do have a bit of a problem with that. At the same time, yeah, I, I agree. Sometimes the best films are made by people that are not necessarily fans. Um, because fans can be too slavishly dedicated to the original work that they're like, I'm just going to remake it shot for shot, or I'm just going, to, I'm going to do nothing but what the original text says. And that's boring. There, there's no, exactly. There's, there's no reason behind it. It's just like, why, why did you even do it? Uh, except as like an exercise for yourself. It's not really an exercise for the audience. So this, I, I am torn about my, my feelings about this. I almost feel like it, it has to go, property by property. And I do have to say, Luca Guadagnino has said that he really likes the original Suspiria and that this is something that um, he's doing and trying to get the sense of, the experience of viewing the, the original film. So I have greater faith in him, I think, right now than I do in the screenwriter. I'm, I'm still wondering about the logistics of that running time, how you can remake something and yeah. make it so much longer. Yeah, yeah I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. I do think, though, too, that when you're doing a remake, especially something like this, I think it's important to be honest about your feelings about the original. And I'm glad that this writer is willing to say his thoughts on the original film because I think that that helps us as an audience and us as critics 
to go into it with the right context of where they're coming from when they're when they're bringing us this film too mm-hmm. so I think it's helpful to know where they stand on the original source material too so uh, any other thoughts alright so let's talk some trailers we already talked about the front runner so that one's out of the way um, Orson Welles has a new movie <laughs> <laughs> No, he like, doesn't. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Um, so, the unfinished film, The Other Side of the Wind, is going to be coming to Netflix, and it has a trailer. It's also screening at a couple of festivals this weekend, so it will be playing at Telluride, it will be playing at Venice. I don't remember if it's going to TIFF or not, but um, yeah, it's festival bound, and um so let's start with Lauren. What did you think of the trailer for The Other Side of the Wind? <laughs> well, to does start... it blow? <laughs> to a degree, yes. Uh, to, to start out with, I am coming into this with maybe a different experience than than uh, than a number of other people because I've seen a lot of the raw footage of The Other Side of the Wind like before it was really cut together. Um, I got to see it in an Orson Welles class, and basically what we watched was the bits and pieces that Welles had had. We didn't watch the whole film um, or anything like that. There is an extended sex scene that features Welles's then wife uh, that just doesn't seem to fit in anywhere to the rest of the movie. It's just like, okay, we're just going to have sex in a car now, apparently. Um, so watching the trailer, I'm like, I... I'm honestly going to be impressed if they've managed to create a comprehensible film out of all of this. Uh, this isn't an Orson Welles film. Like, that, that's, that's what it comes down to for me. It's like, this is a film that has been cobbled together by other filmmakers um, based upon notes that Welles left behind when he failed to, to complete this film due to financing and, and other issues. And, and the fact that, you know, maybe this wasn't just a film that he needed to complete at the end of the day. Uh, the trailer looks great. I I'm really skeptical. I mean, I I think that it looks interesting. Let, let me put it that way. I'm really skeptical that this is going to be a halfway decent movie. And and I do wish that we would pull back and be like, you know what, guys, this is not an Orson Welles film. This is this is historical document that will be interesting to look at. But we we shouldn't treat this as a cinematic event in any way. Yeah, I find it interesting that people are talking about the possibility of Orson Welles getting a posthumous Oscar nomination for directing this. When That's what? bullshit. No. Yeah, like I'm sorry, he didn't he didn't complete the film. Like, is he really even eligible for that? I kind of don't think so. That's, <laughs> but, that's yeah, film, I, I, film bros be... patting themselves on the back is what that oh, is. Yeah, yeah, fil- yeah, film bros who have only ever seen, like, you know, Citizen Kane and read something about the Magnificent Ambersons. It's just like, oh, by the way, guys, that film was never correctly completed. And the opening mm-hmm. scene of Touch of Evil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um... so yeah, I, I, I saw the trailer for this. Um, I've read more about this, I think, than I've actually seen footage. Um, and... Meh. Um, I think it's it's funny to gonna that we're gonna be watching a movie where over half the cast is now gone. Um, so I I really think that anything this is just a curiosity. This is like releasing the day the clown cried at this point. Um, it's notoriety is is what's gonna be intriguing, and that's it. Yeah, I just keep thinking about um, the the Harper Lee novel Go Set a Watchman and how it's like. 
the, there's a reason this never saw the light of day during his lifetime and I, you know but but you know that trailer I'm with I'm with you Lauren it was enough to intrigue me and now I'm like yeah I'll check it out why not it is a curiosity factor I agree Kim any thoughts I I don't I, I watched it through and it didn't appeal to me necessarily I mean maybe it was just on an aesthetic thing um it maybe and yeah I mean I could see it being a draw as a curiosity factor I mean but other than that I'll I'll watch it it didn't really appeal to me one way or the other I do feel like this film is interesting for anyone that has studied Wells or is interested in, in his process um, and that's one of the reasons why I want to see it I want to see what they finally come up with out of all of this but treating it like this seminal cinematic event that you know the first Orson Welles film after 40 years just like no that's not what this is this is a and that's actually kind of disrespectful to his his memory as an artist because he made completed films like we are acting like Orson Welles was this forgotten artur he's a right. brilliant filmmaker he made a number of great fascinating completed films that we can watch on Criterion Mm -hmm. uh, so, so to turn around and be like, oh, you know, like let's let's really investigate what it, what is going on with the other side of the wind. It's like, guys, this is guys, this isn't going to be good. This is probably yeah. being said by people who haven't finished Citizen Kane. No, <laughs> very exactly. few yeah. people don't. So many people I've talked to do not have an appreciation for that film, and it's most of the people who are probably hyping this damn movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't love Citizen Kane, but I also haven't studied it, so... Yeah, I, I finally saw it for the first time last year, and, I mean, it was pretty. It was good. I didn't fall over myself for it, and I don't feel that I need to watch it eight times to really grasp. I, I, I would actually say that, that Citizen Kane is one of my least favorite Wells films, because it's not his most interesting film. See, um, he made much more interesting films. Just like Touch of Evil is more interesting. Maybe oh, definitely. Anderson's I would Ever agree Fate. with that. Uh, his Othello, um, his Macbeth. Those are much more interesting movies. I've seen Othello. That was really good. I liked that one. I forced myself to get through Citizen Kane. That was one of the... I, I watched it four times to finally get through that and to gain that appreciation for what everybody was looking for. The trial. The trial is fascinating. Like it's not a great film, but it's a really interesting film. <laughs> all right. Anyway. Um. Yeah. All right. So that will be. Uh, the other side of the wind will be on. They're getting. They're doing a day and date release, so it'll be in theaters and on Netflix November second. Uh. So look for that. And then. Thank you for Shanghai. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> there you go. Um. We also had another trailer this week. Um. For a movie that we might have mentioned once or twice, it might possibly have a poster that's the backdrop on my phone. I don't know. Um, it's, the, it's definitely <laughs> the backdrop on my phone. It's possible. Um, anyway, so we had a full trailer this week for Bad Times at the El Royale. I want this movie so bad. I know. I can't wait. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> I feel like the, we need to find some sort of way. Well, we probably couldn't do it in the short amount of time to have have a day meetup where we just all watch it and lose our minds <laughs> yes we need to do that yes um does anybody have anything that you'd like to say about it besides i want this and i need it i want to and... scream gimme um really loud but i won't um <laughs> well I so 
Oh, well, I was going to one thing I was thinking about on the most recent rewatch as I was fangirling over it. One thing will break my heart. I will say, can't take my eyes off you. The song that plays in the trailer that is one yep. of my favorites. And if they do a Reservoir Dogs and connect that to something really twisted, so every time I hear it, I can only think of that. I'm going to be really sad. You know that they're oh, going. Oh, that to. would just make it better. <laughs> that would just make it more you know amazing. They're going to. This is going to be like a Steelers wheel, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's the. Yeah. Every time I hear that song, I can only think of Reservoir Dogs, and I was thinking that today. Uh, I'm like, oh yay. no, this is going to ruin that song for me. <laughs> <laughs> I I've watched the the new trailer for this about as many times as I've watched the original teaser trailer, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's a lot. Um, and I, I I I said this on Twitter when we talk about the best trailers of the year, this will be on my list because this trailer, once again, two trailers now that have done very little to articulate what the plot is, which I appreciate. Um, musical cues that are fascinating without being on the nose to what the plot is. Uh, just enough Chris Hemsworth to make me lose all control <laughs> in I everything. Yeah, I I'm all and he actually has like more dialogue in this, so um I just hope there's a ton of scenes of him like proselytizing to a group of people in his sex cult. And yes, it is a sex cult. It might not be a sex cult, but I'm going to say it is. It's a sex cult. I'm going to say it is. As a recently inaugurated member, I will say that... Oh, wait, no. (laughs) (laughs) All all I can sit and think is I just want him and Dakota Johnson to be like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf where their characters just like fucking hate each other for the whole movie, but it's hot. (laughs) I yeah. she so. I was I'm excited for that too for I want her to have an opportunity to just kill it in something. I have given her such shit over time. I want to see her just have a kick-ass movie where she just does has an awesome part and just can kill it. Well, maybe this is the one. And then the aesthetic. When does it come out again, Karen? Uh October 12th. I'll be there. It was originally slated for October 5th and they moved it back a week. I'm not entirely sure why, but October 5th is So that everybody who wanted to have time to see Bradley Cooper and his new chin could see it. (laughs) Actually, it's not a new chin. It's been his fake chin for several years. But (laughs) You know who doesn't have a fake chin? Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) All him. Nothing about that man is fake. Yeah. Amen. All right, so yeah, bad times at the Oriole will be a good time, I think. So, but I feel like we're gonna have to review the movie with like porn star voices. <laughs> be like, oh this, yeah, this movie that will have to be a centric episode. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. So, all right, with the porn star music opening. <laughs> so, um, well, let's move into kind of our final segment, which is some reviews. Which is what have we been watching lately? We've all been watching some stuff. Um, this week we well, actually, let's start with last week was no Wednesday. Sorry, I am like. It's Friday right now. We normally record on Saturday morning. It's Friday. I've been working all weekend. I'm really tired. And I'm actually getting ready to go see another movie. So, um, But Wednesday we had the opening of Operation Finale. Kim, why don't you tell us all about it? Uh, Poe Dameron, Nancy, not Nazi Hunter? 
Which goes wonderful with my idea that I came up with this week. John Bernthal, space colonizer. Bringing the sexy back to space. Bringing the sexy back to space. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, uh, It's... Kingsley was good. Um, I... Oscar Isaac, I will say, I I think I said in my review, he's a little dwarfed in the first kind of. They that seems me. I, I thought you were gonna say a little dwarf. <laughs> he, he killed it. He's taller in person. <laughs> God damn it! The, the movie had this. It was trying to be funny, which was driving me nuts throughout most of it. This is, we're dealing what are with. We're gonna learn he's not funny. Okay? That seems weird. Well, what are we gonna learn? He's not he's, humorous. Just he's stop. not. Well, and it's. I'll get to this point in a second. You're dealing with Adolf Eichmann. You're dealing with the Holocaust. This is not a wisecracking movie. At one, the only one that's allowed to make a funny movie about the Holocaust is Taika Waititi. Exactly. World War Two yes. is Taika Waititi. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's one point where they have cause Kingsley plays Eichmann, and it's there's one point where he is sitting on a toilet and he just goes, "Everybody shits," and it's this laugh moment, and it's just this tone was all over the place. I mean, I guess I should start out by saying it's the movie is following, it follows the mission, the Israeli mission that was that captured Eichmann from his hideout in Argentina and brought him back to Israel to face trial. And the tone was so strange that it really pulled me back. Um, the tone didn't work for Oscar Isaacs, especially in the beginning. I mean, Kingsley, it was the same thing he did in Iron Man 3. So it, I mean, King and Kingsley can make anything work. Uh, I thought the film was at its best when it went dark. It got, and there are parts where it got real kind of dark and intriguing towards like the third act but one or two brilliant scenes which I mean and Isaac and Kingsley together when they're by themselves were absolutely stellar but it wasn't enough to save the movie if it would have figured out what it was it could have been a really solid film but it was just a victim of what it could have been with the tone and this is a horrible 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 comparison to make and probably going to go to hell for making this comparison but the tone they were trying to get it felt like a a 1980s Mel Gibson movie that kind of snarky Mel Gibson persona that he had like the Lethal Weapon movies is what they were trying to get Oscar Isaac to do and it yeah it just didn't work um Melanie Laurent Laurent was great she was tremendously underutilized um I was sitting there trying to think about how many period pieces I've seen Nick Kroll in lately but he was damn good in this I thought a small cast but I mean I thought they everybody did fairly well um real I really wanted better from it Uh, it wasn't horrible but it wasn't the movie it could have been Okay, Kim, as somebody who has tickets for the 720 show tomorrow for their birthday, (laughs) because I'm a good future wife. Support your um, husband. Just just how good are the costumes and the coats and the 19-whatever time period? I I thought it was fine. Um, 
I I gave I gave the I think I gave the look and the stylistic elements of it a nice call out in my review. I had no problems with the suits. I'm a soft. Yeah, touch, you so should I mean, be fine really... with it. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Operation Finale. Now, yeah. now the now the review that shows that I'm being a bad wife. <laughs> you have time to fix it. Um, so, The Little Stranger is in theaters this weekend, and Lauren and I both got to see it earlier this week. Sadly, not together. One of these days, we really need to get together. Uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're on opposite coasts. We are so. on opposite coasts, but we'll fix that. Um, we will get you to the best coast one of these days. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Lauren, why don't you share your thoughts on The Little Stranger? My thoughts about The Little Stranger. Why does this still sound like we're making fun of Oscar Isaac? <laughs> Oscar Isaac is The Little Stranger. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really crass comment. I'm not going to say it. I will say it. Oscar Isaac's Little Stranger. <laughs> well, and every time I think of the title of this movie, I just keep thinking of the movie Tulip Fever where Christoph Waltz keeps referring to his dick as his little soldier. <laughs> so. <laughs> Which is not, like, at all what this film deals with. Like, nope. it's not even, there's not even a, a, a subtext there in terms nope. of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so I will preface this by saying that I went into this movie having already read the book. So I knew what was coming. I knew what to expect from this film. And so on the one hand, I, there was a lot of things that I really liked about it. I liked uh, all of the performances. I think that they underused Charlotte Rampling a bit, who plays um, uh, the mother. The plot of the film is, is basically that uh, Domhnall Gleeson plays uh, Dr. Faraday, who is a country doctor who has returned to his birthplace after the death of his father, and still maintains these kind of warm memories about a um, great house in in the town that he lives in, which is owned, Hundreds Hall, which is owned by the Ayers family. He winds up getting involved with the family and sort of becoming friends with them and helping out the eldest son, Roderick, who is uh, was disfigured in, in World War II. And then as time goes on, all of these weird things begin happening in the house. And it, it becomes clear that the family thinks the house is being haunted by some kind of malevolent spirit, but they can't quite agree on what that spirit is or what it means. And so it's about Dr. Faraday's relationship to the family and trying to figure out kind of what is going on in this house. Uh, that's the basic plot, but that's not entirely what is happening in the film. Um, I, I thought that Donald Gleason was, was excellent in it. He, he's, it's a very, it's a very repressed performance. Like I think the poor guy probably smiles three times in the entire film. And, and one of noticeable. those is extremely creepy. Yeah. And it's, and it's noticeable how like, like repressed he is. The, the whole film is about what is not being said, what the way that these people relate to each other, that they can't quite bridge the gap of, of class, and they can't really say what they feel or what they think or what they want out of their lives. And the, the family, the heirs family themselves are really uh, kind of pushed down by their attachment to the land and by their attachment to the hall, which is literally decaying around them. Like the house is falling apart 
because the family has fallen on hard times since the war and they're just not making enough money and and the the british class system is changing british culture is changing and they're simply not able to move with it they're not able to maintain themselves in the way that they're that they're supposed to be as sort of this landed gentry family um it's very much about the british class system and about the relationship between the characters as this the upper class versus the middle classes and the lower classes and about the resentments that spring up between that and the anger um, and the desires that that there are in sort of trying to cross over those thresholds. Uh, I thought that it was, it's, it's a very atmospheric film. There's not a lot of horror per se. Um, the violence when it happens is very slight and almost almost incidental there are a couple of things that the film sort of glossed over that is actually made much more of in the book that i think kind of confused the issue a little bit like it wasn't clear the importance of some of the events and how it changed the relationship between the characters i, I largely liked it like i like this kind of film i like haunted house stories and this one is a very good haunted house story even though i think that it, it it ultimately telegraphed its ending a little bit more than I would have liked that the, the book doesn't totally do. Um, but it's a really interesting exercise and I think it's a, it's a very strong, um, very different kind of take on the haunted house narrative. Yeah, I... It's very interesting because I was very unsatisfied with the way that it ended, but I was really enjoying the journey to get there. And it's funny because... Uh, the day after I saw it, the publicist who invited me to the screening, she emailed me and said, oh, so what are your thoughts? That You know, a lot of times they like to get reactions from, from you. And I said, I would say that I liked, really liked 95% of the movie, and I'm on the fence about the other 5%. <laughs> and that's still kind of how I feel after a few days of thinking about it. And I would definitely say this is one that's worth watching. Uh, there are Someone things about really it that are rummaging. great. I agree with Lauren that the, all the performances were really good. Charlotte Rampling and I would also say Will Poulter are both yeah. underutilized. They really could have been... Um, the scenes that they have, they're so good in. I just would love to have seen more of them and to really have spent more time seeing how they all uh, interacted with each other and what their relationships were. Um I would like to have seen more of that. But what we got from them was really good. And I definitely don't have anything negative to say about any of their performances. But, yeah, my big problem was just that I felt like the ending was just not not satisfying. And I'm fine with ambiguous endings. I don't have a problem with, with that. It's just that I didn't feel like what we got in the end was um, really fit with the buildup that we had had up to then so well i didn't find the ending to be particularly ambiguous and and this so this is one of my issues and this is why i i kind of want to know your thoughts because uh-huh. again i went into this film being like i know this story i know what happens the book is very ambiguous i felt like the film wasn't particularly ambiguous with the you know if if there's a mystery the solution is pretty clear or am I am I wrong in saying that? Like, is the solution not qu- not clear? <laughs> uh, well, see, I want to. We we got to talk off air about this because I want to know your thoughts too. Well, no, <laughs> but um, we don't want to we don't want to share spoilers no. on here. But we definitely need to talk about this because I had a, I thought it was pretty clear too. But after the screening, when I was talking to some other people who were also there, 
it was clear that we either did not see the same movie or it wasn't as obvious as I thought it was. So I'm really curious if you and I had the same thoughts. And this is okay. me not having read the book. So I'm very, yeah, I, I'm interested. But yeah, I definitely recommend it. I think it's definitely a good a good film. It's very beautifully shot. Yeah. Um, I really, yeah, it's worth watching. And if you're a fan of a certain... Mr. Gleason, you will have a lot to enjoy in this one. I, I will be being an almost. Good... I will be being a good wife and seeing that this weekend. <laughs> yeah, he's in almost every frame of the film. Like, yeah, he's, like, he's not just every scene, scene, like almost every frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I sat through <laughs> Peter Rabbit. I deserve see... a good movie. Damn it. <laughs> she gets to see happiness and gothic horror. I get weird holocaust humor <laughs> she's not yeah. there <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> well you know this is what you get for choosing your heroes the way that you do <laughs> uh yeah um in-, in case anybody's curious what i've been watching lately i was just um, gonna ask I didn't... you <laughs> uh well i haven't gone to any screenings so this week's been kind of a dead zone in my area um my operation finale screening was on tuesday at five o'clock and the movie opened on Wednesday. And you were a bad wife so and like, didn't go. I was like, nope, I'll just wait till Saturday. Um, but I it because it's been my birthday week, I've been watching movies that I like. Um, and somehow I slowly decided to start connecting them to each other. So I started with a little princess, which I was like, father daughter movie. I'll watch a mother daughter movie, so I watched Ladybird. And then I was thinking, okay, Sweet Chalamet, I love him. And I'm gonna watch an 80s movie. So I finally watched All the Boys I've Loved Before, which was on Netflix. Aww. And I thought it was adorable. So cute. It's very, very cute. Um, not understanding the love for the dude that everybody has, but you know, whatever. Um, so I watched that and then it was like Thirst movie. So I did watch an Oscar Ice movie. I watched In Secret, which still my weird fucked up choice because it's like half a bodice ripper and the other half is who's afraid of Virginia Woolf if it was really depressing and everybody fucking hated each other um it's delightful you should watch it um <laughs> it's like it's like PG-13 sex erotic thriller mixed with we got married and now I fucking hate your face I hate you too I want to kill you I want to kill you too and um yeah, yeah, that's literally the whole movie. Um, yeah, you really want to mind trip, read the book, which they couldn't even translate half that shit because, like, he thinks his cat's trying to kill him at a certain point in the movie. Um, yeah, the, it's great, delightful. Um, so so then I figured Elizabeth Olsen's in that. I love her, so I w- I'll watch Ingrid Goes West. So I've slowly been uh, playing Connect the Dots with movies the last week, and it's been very, very fun. <laughs> Nice. Wow. Well, it sounds like you've had a very interesting week. I have too much time on my hands. You can say it. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, I've been working a lot and not having any fun. Except for I did get yes, to see but, the little strangers. But you get, you get the sweet paycheck and, and health benefits. <laughs> yeah, that is true. But I will yeah. say, I work hard for those benefits, okay? I would kill somebody for health benefits, right? I would marry somebody for health benefits right now. Okay, we're going gender. That's all it would take. It's just marriage. I'm I'm sure Oscar Isaac's got great health benefits. I, you know what? According to state law, we don't have to live in the same house. 
So exactly. Kristen, I think okay. I just proposed to you. <laughs> <laughs> I accept for dental. <laughs> yes. Well, and there are witnesses too. So there, there I are. That shit's binding. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, okay. Citizen Dame first. <laughs> on the next episode of Citizen Dame. <laughs> so, yeah. on that note, um, Chris and I apparently have a wedding to go plan. Um, but what's exactly. everyone else doing this week? Um, so, I, um, tomorrow's my birthday. At the time of recording, tomorrow's my birthday. So, I get to hang out. I'm showing my friends a bunch of weird movies, including three episodes of The Leftovers. Uh, but I think there's a new Jeremy Irons movie that comes out today that I'm gonna make us all watch and we're going to see Operation Finale so yay and I think Searching comes out too here it does that's actually what I'm going to see this like as soon as we're done here so yeah so I'm hoping I'm hoping at least one of those movies will be good (laughs) yeah um Lauren what are you doing this week uh right now I do not have any screens I'd like to see Searching but we'll see if I actually get time to to get around to do that and uh, and I'm finally just catching up on Castle Rock because I've missed the last couple of episodes, so I've been, yes. I've been catching up on those, and I am more than ever convinced that poor Bill Skarsgård is just like some like pizza delivery guy that got caught up <laughs> in all of this, and it's just like I'm trying to be nice, like I'm just trying to be nice to people, and they keep on dying. <laughs> poor boy. Oh man, I know. It's so good. Ugh, love that show. Uh, Kim, what are you doing this week? Uh, I am taking myself to The Little Stranger this weekend, and then I had a The Little Stranger, no, Peppermint and The Nun are both screening, I think, on Wednesday, and I RSVP'd to The Nun first, so that's what I will be seeing. Nice. Um, I, I don't really know how there's a winner in that. One looks like crap and one looks racist as shit. I'm so excited for the nun. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am seeing The Favorite this week. I'm so excited. Lucky. And another film that I apparently can't say that I'm seeing because it's got weird embargo rules. So I don't know. The, we all know the real reason that I marrying Karen isn't just health benefits, it's so that I can go see movies ahead of time. <laughs> she just wants to be my permanent plus one. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's so. the perk of marriage. And Karen would like better parking. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to uh, follow us along on lots of other places, you can always get the podcast everywhere that you get podcasts. Uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, I think, Spotify, um, lots of places. Uh, you can also find us on the web. Our website is citizendamepod.com, where you can get all kinds of fun stuff, including uh, our weekly Citizen Dame 5. This week it was quintessential Kristen movies to celebrate her birthday. And we also, uh, every week, Kimberly has her Feminist Fridays. We have lots of other fun reviews for you there. Um, there's our Patreon, patreon.com slash citizendame, where you can hear bonus content, including our Star Wars episode. Kristen and I did a commentary track for Sicario. There's the Ultimate Movie Boyfriend Bracket Challenge that we did a while back, and some other fun things coming your way, including 
very soon our Jeff Goldblum episode we're very excited about. So for as little as a dollar, you can unlock all that awesome, fun, extra content. And really what you're doing is supporting the show and helping us to bring you more awesome, fun content. So um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. Um, Facebook.com slash Citizen Dame if you're still into Facebook. And you can find us individually all over the place. Kristen, where are you? I am at Journeys underscore film on Twitter. And Lauren? I am at LH Business. Kim? At KPier624. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. So for all of us here at Citizen Dame, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you later. This house works on people. Girls come here like specks of grit. Ten years later, they leave as pearls. I expect Dr. Faraday's thinking Betty won't stick it out for ten years. Most girls rather work in factories these days, and who can blame them? As it happens, I was thinking of my mother. She was a maid here before I was born. Well, I do hope she enjoyed her time. Right, Roderick. Come on, Jim.